We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. You can take your Bibles. I don't know how far I'm going to go this morning. We'll just see what the Spirit of God wants us to do. But if you have an outline in your bulletin, that's really for your personal study. Take it home with you. Read the Scriptures and you decide what God is saying to you about the aspect of giving. I'm going to go a bit of a different direction because I want to talk to you about signs of revival. There's no doubt in my mind that God is reviving this church and this people. I've got a lot behind me. Can you pull those monitors down? No doubt in my mind that God is doing something mighty and powerful in this place. I look over the crowd this morning and I see drug addicts that have been set free, drunkards that have been delivered. I see individuals who've been pulled from the pit of hell and set their feet on the rock of Jesus Christ. And I see believers who have followed Jesus for scores of years, whose hearts are being warmed and revived, and God is doing something great and mighty and powerful in and through them. That's what church is really all about. It's about creating an atmosphere through prayer and fasting, through worship, where the Spirit of God has the liberty to do as He desires and as He has planned. Now, we always have a service plan. We always know where we think we're going, but that is always subject to the authority of the Spirit of God. He can lead us where He wills and where He desires, and we simply need to follow Him. Amen? And when we do, when we have the courage and the foresight to follow Him, good things always occur in the lives of God's people. So I challenge you this week, will you tell someone that revival's happening at Christian Heritage Church? Invite them to come and be a part. You see, this isn't an exclusive thing. This isn't a club. Jesus challenged us to take the gospel to the entire world. And maybe you're too shy or too hesitant to actually tell somebody that Jesus Christ died for their sins, but you do have the courage, you do have the faith to say, come and join me, because revival's happening at my church. Let's see what God will do when we seek Him together. Would you do that? Make that commitment and let's follow Him. When I talk about the signs of revival, I realize that many times our perceptions of what revival is are far different from reality. Our perceptions are all often based on a physical reaction, on what we see, on what we hear, rather than on what God is really doing. Our perception often focuses on the physical rather than the eternal. Our perception of revival often deals with the natural, not the supernatural. People responded, bodies were healed, blind eyes were opened, people were in, in love with God and worshiping God. We focus on the temporal, not the eternal. But David wrote it this way in Psalm 85, 6, when he was crying out to God for mercy for him and the people he led, he said, Will you not revive us again? Now, he didn't say so your people could dance. He didn't say so your people could sing great shouts and songs. Although David did all of those things, you're aware of that, right? He didn't say so that your people can talk about what an awesome experience we had in the presence of God. He said, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you. 
And in that statement, in that phrase, he took the emphasis off of the temporal, off the natural, off of those things that perish, and he put it right where it begins and belongs in the presence of the living God. So that we can focus on you and so that your presence revives our hearts and brings joy into our lives. That's a sign of revival. When the church quits frowning and starts smiling. When the church stops griping and complaining and starts testifying about the power of God that breaks every chain. When the church sees a change in their countenance because of change in their hearts. It's a sign of revival. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2. The prophet wrote, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. If you read that from the message, it says, What you did for those before us, do for us again. Oh, folks, there are times that we need to understand our prayer has to be, God, if you did it once, you'll do it again. So would you do it again in me? Do it again. And I'm speaking to somebody in this room this morning. You are not where you were a year ago. You have regressed. You have allowed the enemy to slip into your life and to tell you lies and pull you back into the clutch of the world and the worldly things that you once were addicted and bound to. But God is saying to you today, if I did it for you once, I'll do it for you again. Today is your day of liberty. Today is your day to be set free. You don't have to walk around saying, I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. But rather you can change the words of your mouth and you can say what he did for me once he did for me again and I am a born again redeemed set free delivered child of the living God and what once held me what once bound me what once drove me doesn't do it anymore because God did it again some of you need to take that to heart you need to let him do it because he wants to set you free you're looking through a poor program you're looking for a man-made solution to a devil-made problem. And a man-made solution will never fix a devil-made problem. Only God can set the enemy to flight. Only God can set you free and deliver you once and for all. Come on, somebody. It's time to rejoice in what God has promised to do. What you did for the people of old, do for us again, Habakkuk said. Revive our hearts. Revive our spirits. Do something new in us today. I think the greatest revival we could ever look at is found in the book of Acts. When the church was actually formed on the day of Pentecost. When God came down and dwelt among them in a powerful way. Do you understand that Peter was not polished? He was not educated. He was not schooled in the ways that we think schooled. But Peter was full of the Holy Ghost. And being full of the Holy Ghost, he stood on the day of Pentecost and he preached to a group of thousands the wonderful truths of Jesus Christ. And when he spoke those words of truth and those words of life, conviction from the Spirit of God penetrated hearts. So much so that 3,000 out of that crowd turned to Jesus Christ that day. Now listen, it wasn't 3,000 heathens that turned to Jesus Christ. It wasn't 3,000 people who had no experience with the things of God that turned to Jesus Christ. 
It was 3,000 Jews who were there in Jerusalem for the purpose of worshiping God and bringing their offering and celebrating Pentecost. These were church folks. But when Peter preached the truth of Jesus Christ to them, something happened in their heart and the blinders were pulled away. The scales fell off their spiritual eyes and they saw who Jesus really was. And when they understood, he isn't just some criminal crucified on a cross. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He's the one for which we have been looking. He is the anointed of God, the Messiah. Something happened in them. And they came to Jesus Christ. Revival occurred. Great things happened and great things occurred. And we talk about them. We talk about the healings. We talk about the man outside the gate, beautiful, who was lame from life. And when he asked Peter for an offering, he said, I don't have anything. But what I have, I'm going to give you. And he reached down and took him by the hand and lifted him up. And the Bible says his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Why? Because Peter gave him what he already had. You see, that's why I pray every day, God, do it in me before you do it in them. Because if I don't have it, I can't give it to you. If I haven't experienced what God has done mightily, miraculously, I can't really compel you to experience the same thing. But when I can stand before you and I can tell you, I know a God who's a healer. I know a God who's a deliverer. I know a God who is able to change everything in your life. I know a God who reaches down in the miry pit and picks you up and sets your feet on the rock to stay. Then you can believe. Maybe what that preacher saying may be true. You see, oh, you're just way too emotional. Listen, when you get good news, you get pretty emotional. I mean, if the publisher's sweepstakes showed up at your door, Pastor Mike, and he knocked on that door and he said, we got a million dollars for you, you're not going to sit there and say, okay, all right, that's good. No, Pastor Mike is pretty calm. They're, they're polar opposites, Abe, actually. If we're Amy, she would be jumping up and down, screaming and hollering, yelling. You can hear her three miles away. Pastor Mike would say, oh, yeah, thank you. But I guarantee you, in that instance, he would be excited. Listen, I'm bringing good news today, and the good news is God brings revival to the heart of his people. He changes hearts. He changes lives. And you are not exempt from what he wants to do. Look at the book of Acts. Great miracles, great healings were recorded. Thousands come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Now here's where we have the problem. Because we think when revival comes, everything is fixed. I got news for you. When revival comes, there are more problems than you had before. More issues than you knew you were going to deal with. More circumstances that make you scratch your head than those that make you shout amen. See, when revival came to the New Testament church, suddenly these thousands of Jews from across the region didn't want to leave because they experienced something that was unworldly, supernatural, mighty, miraculous, marvelous. They'd never had anything like this before. Judaism never took them to this place with God before. But the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus Christ did. So they didn't want to leave. So all of a sudden, 
This 120 that were in the upper room swells to thousands. And these folks aren't working. They don't have jobs. They don't live there. And there's a huge need. They need to be fed. They need to be housed. They need to be clothed. Their physical needs need to be met. You see, revival always brings an additional challenge that stretches your faith and causes you to realize, God put me in this place, not so that I could just worship and jump and sing and shout, but so that I could exercise my faith and see what God can do. Come on, somebody needs to hear me in this place today. We won a great battle in August when he sold the plaza and almost $8 million, including accrued interest, was written off of the debt. That's a great battle. But listen... As much as I rejoice and we celebrate that, we have another bottle. It's five and a half million on this place, which is way too much money. I don't know how God's going to solve it, but he's going to. But until he does, we have a payment of $17,000 a month. Now, we're just like the New Testament church. God is moving. Revival is happening. We're worshiping him. We're celebrating what he's doing. People are being healed. Their lives are being changed every single day. But in the midst of that revival, we have a challenge. We have to understand that because revival comes, it doesn't mean every problem is fixed, but rather we have a chance to step up, step out, and live by faith. To believe that we do serve the God of the miraculous. Oh, sometimes we can believe God for a physical healing easier than we can believe God for a financial need. Now I want you to look at Acts chapter 4. Because Acts chapter 4, I believe it's beginning in verse 32, somewhere in there. It talks about great power. With great power, the apostles preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on in verses 34 and following to say, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked all who were with them. All who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. I'm not asking to sell your house or your car. I'm not asking you to do anything like that. I'm not even asking for your money. I don't want your money. You see, here's the problem. And that's why you have that outline about tithing in your bulletin. Money is what trips us up 99.9% .9 of the time. Yeah, I went to that church, God showed up in a powerful way, and then that guy had the audacity to preach on giving. I love you, you got to love me too. You see, we allow that issue to become a stumbling block to us. When in reality, if we look at giving from a New Testament perspective, it becomes a source of liberation, of freedom. It becomes the avenue and the means by which God does something that's mind-blowing in our lives. When we choose to see it as God sees it. So it says that everyone who had something sold it, brought it later at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to anyone who had need. Verse 36. And Joseph is also named Barnabas. You remember Barnabas, right? He and Paul went on the first missionary journey. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. See, God moved on Barnabas' heart to do something that was out of nature, out of character. 
but it was to meet the need of those around him. Let me put it this way, to meet the need of the house. Because the house in that situation was this group of new believers. And God moved on Barnabas to do something pretty special to meet that need. But he wasn't the only one, and from the Scripture, he wasn't the first one. I'm not sure why Luke chose to include this by the Holy Spirit, but he did. I think it was to let us see Barnabas' heart so we could understand him later on in his life. He gave it and laid it at the feet, and there was no doubt in my mind now, when someone gives a great gift to the church, we're excited, right? We're happy. If someone gave us five and a half million, I'd run across this place, I'd scream, I'd shout, I'd dance, because we're free. So if you want to do that, feel free to go ahead. I'll bless you, and I'll bless you, and I'll bless you. Go ahead. But I think in that instance, there's a couple of other folks who saw the accolade, who saw the appreciation, who saw the love that was poured out on Barnabas, and they said, hey, if he can do that, we can do it too. We want some of that as well. So you know the story, Ananias and Sapphira followed him. It's in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. They sold a piece of land, but they kept part of it back. What was wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. It was theirs. They could do with it as they wished and as they pleased. There was nothing wrong with them holding part of it back and giving the rest to meet the needs of the house. Nothing wrong with that. The problem came when they lied to the Holy Spirit. And they acted as though they had given everything rather than holding some back for themselves. You know the story. Peter confronted Ananias, he fell down at his street. Three hours later, his wife came in, same story, she fell down dead as well. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that when it comes to giving, God is more interested in the heart than in the amount. God is more interested in why we do it than what we give. Because God understands that if He can get a hold of our heart, and getting a hold of our heart, loosen our grip on what we call ours, He can literally change our lives. But listen, He will never change our lives as long as we hold everything in a closed fist and we say, this is mine, I earned it, I deserve it, I inherited it, it doesn't belong to God, it belongs to me. You will never see God do what He wants to do in you. Because money is where we most often trip up. See, it's not about what we give. It's about the attitude of the heart that prompts that giving. In the New Testament church, God used people to meet the need. Now notice, He didn't say there's a pot of gold over there at the end of the rainbow. Go pick it up and bring it back. He didn't say, oh, you just won the lottery. Go give your money to the church. He didn't say, I'm somehow miraculously going to supply this need. What did he do? He used what they already had. He used what was already in their hand. What they already had control of. Here's the principle I want you to hear this morning. God doesn't need to invent new wealth or new money to be a blessing to the house of God. He simply needs us to have a change of heart and use what's in our hand, what's in our control, what's in our possession. You know, Yvonne and I have been givers for years. By the way, she's in Colorado today. If you're watching, babe, I love you. I'm sure glad you're having time in Colorado. David, our son, is 35 on Tuesday. She went out to celebrate his birthday. That was her excuse. 
Our real reason for going was to escape the Florida heat and humidity. 70 degrees at the day, 50 degrees at night, no humidity. It's heaven. That's all I can tell you. It's heaven. I often said, God, why did you move us from Colorado to Tallahassee? I still don't have that answer. He's silent. He's silent. Hate it when God is silent. But see, God didn't give them new supply. He gave them and allowed them to use what they already had to meet the need. There was not a promise. Listen to me. Well, I'm going to shoot the prosperity preachers right in the head this morning. Because they say, if you give, God will. If you sow, God will. Look at Acts chapter 4. Not one time did God say, if you'll sell your possessions and bring them to meet the need of the house, I will do something for you. That was not a part of the equation. Why? Because their heart was pure. Their heart was right. They desired to do something that helps the brethren rather than just help themselves. They had a change of heart, and that change of heart affected how they looked at their possessions. What they, quote, owned. What they controlled. It happened because of a change of heart. Listen, we don't need to manipulate people into giving. We simply need folks to understand that when God changes my heart by revival... The first thing that's going to change is my attitude towards my money, my possessions, all that I own and all that I control. Because when God does that, suddenly we recognize, I just thought I worked for that. But the gifts and the skills I had to earn that money, they came directly from heaven. I just thought that was mine. But I now realize that God simply entrusted me to steward those resources, to advance and to build his kingdom. Listen, God doesn't dislike wealth. God doesn't dislike people who have a lot of things. He loves us. He blesses us. He treasures us. What he dislikes is when we hold those things in such a grip, they take precedence over him. That's where God's got a problem. He didn't promise these folks in Acts 4 anything for what they did. No windfalls, no lottery. He meets our needs from what's in our hand. Now, I am really well, ready, willing, and able to receive any large gifts that come in. Thank you, Father. But I will not do it with the false promise, if you give, God will give you a hundredfold more. I will not do that. Because it's not biblical, it's not scriptural. And it's not what Jesus' followers do. Manipulation is not a tool in the tool chest of the Holy Ghost. He never manipulates anyone. He convicts, he convinces, he leads, he guides, he directs, he shows the way, but he will never twist your arm behind your back until you give. He will never tell you you're going to go to hell if you don't participate. That's what crazy preachers do. The Holy Spirit will never do that. You hearing me this morning? Come on, part of the faulty foundation that's being corrected in this house was the fact that we bought the lie that if we give, God will. That's why $17 million was borrowed. Faulty principles. Faulty principles of giving. Listen, God says you give because you love me. 
You give because I first gave to you. You give because that's what you do when I change your heart. And you know what? It's not a problem to stroke that check. It's not a problem to empty your wallet. It's not a problem to trust Him for more and more and more when you understand what the true motivation is. Someone said, well, is tithing for today? Why do you even ask that question? That's the dumbest question I've ever heard in my life. Why would you even ask that? It's like we're saying, how much do we give to be okay with God? You know what Jesus said? I believe it's in Mark chapter 9 or 12. I don't remember which one. You can look it up. He sat down by the offering bucket. And as people walked by throwing in their gifts, rich people went by and threw in a lot. But then there was a widow woman who walked by and she threw in the equivalent of less than a penny. Two copper coins. Didn't even amount to a penny in today's standard. And Jesus said, that woman gave more than those rich guys because she didn't give from her abundance, she gave from her poverty. She didn't give from her overflow, she gave from all that she had. There wasn't anything held back. Oh, would somebody hear me today? It's the attitude of the heart. When we're saying, is this for today? Where is that for today? We're revealing our hearts and our nature. I know you're quiet. I didn't expect a lot of participation this morning. But I'm asking you, what's the condition of your heart? Because the condition of your heart reveals how you respond to your possessions. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 23, you can look it up and read it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Why did he say that? Because Jesus understood we got heart problems. We have heart problems. We have no money problems. Hear me. We have no money problems. We have heart problems. Why do I say that? I say that because God said, and I will supply all your need according to my riches in glory. Jesus said, Luke 6, 38, given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. We don't have money problems, we've got heart problems. And when God changes the heart, He changes our finances. That's true for us personally. That's true for us as a house. And that's true for us corporately as a nation. When our heart stinks, we always have money problems. Look at America and the debt we have, we have accumulated. Why? Because we've got a heart problem. Because we don't value what God values. We're not applying godly principles to the way we govern in America. Matter of fact, did you know that Ruger is coming out with a new pistol? Did y'all hear about that? Yeah, it's going to be in honor of the representatives we sent to Washington. It doesn't work and you can't fire it. Think about that. Some will get that three days from now. Absolute truth though. See, we need to understand that when God changes our hearts, we give because it's our nature to give. It's our desire to give. It's what we want to do. I'm going to jump right over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. 
Because Paul dealt with this issue in depth and in detail. When he said these works, when we have a change of heart, it proves that God is over our finances. We understand that God is able to do mighty things in us and through us. Matter of fact, before I get to that passage, think back. Jesus, when he met the needs of people, he did so out of compassion. Out of compassion. Six times in the miracles of Jesus Christ, it says, He was moved with compassion for them, on them, toward them, and met their need. It was compassion that drove Him. He understood that. And a change of heart always brings compassion towards those in need. Think about it in Luke chapter 19. He was coming into Jericho and Zacchaeus wanted to see Him, the Bible says. But because he was a little guy, he climbed up into a tree so he could see Jesus. And when Jesus saw him up there, what did he say? He said, Zacchaeus, come down. Come down. I've got a word for you. I've got a word for you that's going to transform your, transform your life. Zacchaeus came down, and you know what he said after he met Jesus? Listen, he had a change of heart. Because he said, if I've taken anything from anybody by fraud, what was his possession? He was a tax collector. He was the version of the IRS. Don't even get me started on that. He said, if I've taken anything from anybody by fraud, I give it back fourfold. And what did Jesus say? You can read it. It's so clear. He said, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your house. Not because of a confession of his lips, but because of a change in his heart. Because suddenly what was so valuable to him was no longer valuable. What he had prized and possessed and held on to and cheated and connived and defrauded to get suddenly had no meaning because he had a change of heart. Oh God, would you change our hearts today? Would you help us to see when we respond to you, we're going to hear the word, today salvation came to your house. The opposite of that in Mark 10, where he met the rich young ruler who came to him and said, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus said, obey the commandments. Honor God. Don't lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery. He said, all these I've done since my youth. And Jesus said, well, then there's just one thing you need to do. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful because of all of his great possessions. Listen to me, friend, every one of us find ourselves in that position one time or another, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little. Because when we come to Christ, Christ wants our all. It doesn't just mean our soul, our spirit. It means our mind, our body. It means our home, our cars. It means our bank accounts and our retirement accounts. It means the land. Everything belongs to Him when we come to Him. And if our heart isn't changed... Will not respond in the right way. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul is talking to the Philippians about the fact that they have helped him, sent him money, raised offerings for him to keep him doing missionary work again and again and again. And in verse 17, he said, I want you to understand, I'm not asking for a gift, but I'm asking so that fruit may abound to your account. Oh, there's a kingdom principle. There's a kingdom principle. You see, it's not about bringing a gift 
to God. It's about understanding that when my heart changes and when I become a giver, it allows me to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Change my heart, O oh God. Change my heart, O oh God. And then you can go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read a few verses beginning in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and the deep poverty abounded in the riches of liberality. Can you read that without shaking your head? Can you read that with the saying, what in the world is Paul saying? That makes no sense whatsoever. It doesn't unless you do it from a heart that's already been transformed by God. He said, in the great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy, their deep poverty abounded in riches of their liberality. What's he saying? He's saying these folks were dirt poor. They didn't have two pennies to rub together. But because God changed their heart, they understood they needed to respond and they brought their best gift to God. That's what he's saying. Pretty powerful thing. For I bear witness, verse 3, that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Now look at verse 4. This is powerful. They implored us. What does that mean? It means they wouldn't take no for an answer. Paul said, y'all don't have much to give. You just keep it. Spend it on yourselves. They implored us. They wouldn't take no for an answer with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. Bingo. Did you hit it? Did the light go off? Did you see why they did what they did? Do you understand why out of their poverty they gave liberally? Because they first gave themselves to the Lord. There's a change of heart. Change of heart. There was a change of hearts. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, who's he writing to? He's writing to the church at Corinth. As you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence, in your love for us, oh, come on, you ready for this? See that you also abound in the grace of giving. You see, you can tell me about your faith. You can tell me about the power of God flowing through your life. But until you let God have a hold of your pocketbook, you're just a sounding gong and a tinkling cymbal. Because when there's a change of heart, it begins first with your possessions. And then we can flip over to chapter 9 because Paul is raising an offering here. He's trying to help those that are in desperate and dire need. And he begins to tell them things in verse 6 like, But this I say to you, he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. You know, he's qualifying us. He's saying exactly what kind of a giver do you want to be? Do you want to be a skin flint with a closed fist? Or do you want to be the type of giver that you open your hand 
And every time you open the hand, there's something there to give because the God of all grace ministers, I'm getting ahead of myself, ministers seed to the sower and bread for food. Oh, would somebody hear what I'm saying this morning? Scriptural principles about giving. And you get caught up about whether tithing is for today. Give me a break. Come on, grow up. You're, minoring in the, you're majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors. It's not about a percentage. It's about the attitude of my heart. It's why do I do it? What do I do it for? Who am I doing it for? Is it for God if it's not? All right, you ready for this? If you're not doing it from the heart to worship God and to acknowledge His presence in and over your life, keep your stinking money. Keep it in your purse. Because I don't want to be tied down by that stinking money. God has more than enough. More than enough. That's as hard as I'm going to get this morning. Verse 7. So let each one gives as he purposes in his heart. If you read that from the message, it says it this way. To protect us against sob stories and arm twisting. I like that. Because you know how the church has been financed by year, for years? By sob stories and arm twisting. It is so far from the pattern that Jesus and the apostles set, it's not even funny. I don't need to plead with you for anything, but the God of all grace needs to move it upon our hearts and show us this is our dutiful service to Him. Our grace of giving. So each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work, so that every time I open my hand, there's something there. Every time I give, there's something there. Every time I reach into my wallet or write a check, there's the funds there because God has already said He's making all grace abound toward me. And when that happens, it's an amazing thing. As it is written, He's dispersed abroad. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may He, who's He talking about? He's talking about God. You with me? Verse 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Do you understand the connection between when we give liberally and generally, generously and how we grow in that spirit of righteousness? Why? Because we are saying what's once controlled me no longer controls me, but the living God directs my steps and guides my life. And I believe that if I give, He's going to make sure there's seed that replenishes and there's food on my table. What did David say in Psalm 37? He said, in the midst of famine, God provides bread for His people. He said, I've been young and I'm old, but I've never once, never once 
So the righteous forsaken, where is seed begging bread? Somebody needs to hear that. It'll set you free today if you'll stop counting your pennies and count God and all that he's done for you. It liberates you. It looses you. It helps you to understand my bank account may have $10 in it, but I'm overflowing. And because I'm overflowing, God has promised abundance into my life. And you want to know if tithing's for today. Get off of it. Can I say grow up and get a life? Because that's what you need to do. You're minoring, on, you're minoring on things that don't matter. It's tithing for today. I got news for you. God doesn't want 10%. You ready for this? He wants 100%. He wants everything you are. Everything you will ever be. Everything you hold, everything you possess, every dollar you will ever acquire belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why? Because you were a servant to sin. You were bound. You were hell bound. And He liberated you. He set you free. He gave you a new life. He gave you reason to live, reason to believe, reason to rejoice. Oh, come on, somebody. 10%. Get over yourself. He didn't want 10%. He wants all of you. Verse 11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Now look at verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, so when we give, it meets needs. That's what he's saying. Not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. What's he saying? When I give, I worship. When I give, I praise. Every time I give, I'm reminded that God has supplied one more time. Every time I open my hand and release, I'm saying that the God I serve is going to meet every need I have according to his riches and glory. Well, through the proof of this ministry, verse 13, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. Man, did you really hear what he said? He said, when we obey, when our heart is changed, let me back up, when our heart is changed, and we understand everything we have is his, and then we begin to give liberally and generously, let me read it one more time. They glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He's saying you become a walking testimony. You become a living epistle. You are declaring to everyone around you, because I give, this is what God has done for me. Because I give, he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Because I give, I don't worry about tomorrow or next week or next month. God has me covered. And you're worried about tithing. Would you get over it? How ridiculous can we become? And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Some would say that means the gift of Jesus Christ. I would agree. But I really think in context, it means the gift that God has given us to live with a changed heart 
and a liberal attitude. The gift that God has given us to be able to say, God, I'm going to believe you to meet my needs. And I'm going to honor you with my giving. You notice I haven't said tithe one time. Why haven't I? Tithing was in the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 12, 14, and 26. It's there. But I haven't said tithe one time because I'm not interested in doing the minimum. Last year, Yvonne and I gave 25% of our income. This year, we wanted to do 30. We're working to the place where 50% of what we make goes back into the kingdom of God. I believe that pleases God. I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm saying that pleases God. And I'm saying to you that there's never been a day in my life since God changed my heart that I've had to worry about finances. Because with a changed heart comes a changed attitude to what I have. And I freely give it away. I can't tell you the number of times we've emptied our savings account to give to the work of God. What are you going to do? You don't have that rainy day fund. I got a rainy day God! Come on! I'm not trying to misapply appropriate financial principles. I'm just saying to you, sometimes we get so caught up in financial principles, we forget the God who wrote them. See, people say, tithing's not for today. We don't want to do that. My response is, okay, I don't care. No skin off my nose. You live any way you want to live. It's no skin off my nose. But it will affect you. Giving or lack thereof will affect you. When I hear people say that, I wonder, uh, well, if you don't want to give, what other promises do you want to send back to God? Took some time this morning and I printed off six or seven pages of Old Testament promises that maybe we're going to send back. How about Psalm 103? Bless the Lord of my soul and all that is within me. Bless His holy name, who forgiveth all my iniquities and heals all my diseases. You going to send that one back? No, probably not. Because you need to be forgiven and you need to be healed. How about Psalm 107? I cried unto the Lord in my trouble, and He saved me from my distress. You going to send that one back? Yeah, no, probably not. How about Psalm 18? I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I've been saved from my enemies. You're going to send that one back? No, nah, probably not. How about Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You're going to send that one back? Probably not. How about Psalm 27? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You're going to send that one back? Probably not. Let me move on. There's so many of them here. I don't time, have time to go through all of them. How about Jeremiah 29, 11? Oh, we love to quote that. For I know the plans I have towards you. Plans of peace and not of evil. To prosper you. To bring you hope in a future. You're going to send that one back? Probably not. We like that one too much. We hang our head upon it. How about Isaiah 40, 29? And the Lord increases power to the weak. And they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. You're going to send that one back? Now you quote it every other day. 
about Isaiah 41? Fear not, for I am with thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Going to send that one back? Better not. Tells you who you are. Assures you of your identity. How about Isaiah 41? I am the Lord your God. I take you by your right hand. Going to send that one back? Nah, probably not. When you pass through the waters, they'll not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned because I am the Lord your God. Oh, this one. Charismatics love this one. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. And every tongue that rises up against me, thou shalt condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Going to send that one back? Yeah, I didn't think so. Didn't think so. You see, friend, when we begin to split hairs, determine what is and isn't for us, when we begin to make giving a matter of function, of duty, of performance, of religion, we're speaking to the condition of our hearts. And what God wants to do in revival is change our hearts. And the first sign of a changed heart is our attitude to what we have, what we possess, what we own. Because suddenly we realize, hey, I couldn't save myself. I couldn't heal myself. I couldn't deliver myself. I couldn't find my way out of the mess I was in, but Jesus did all that for me. And because he did all that for me, I'm giving it all to him. I'm giving it all to him. I'm giving it all to Him. Father, just do what you want to do in this place. Speak to the hearts of your people. Accomplish your will and purposes. And change our hearts, oh God. Change our hearts, oh God. Make us ever true. Make us ever true. Make us generous givers. People who have learned to sow generously. Because we reap the benefits all around us every day. Make us generous givers. Speak to the heart of that one and two or ten or hundred or five hundred in this room today who struggled with this issue. Show them it's not about law. It's not about percentages. It's about the attitude of the heart. And every born-again believer should be a giver because of what we ourselves have received. I pray it in your name. I pray it in your name. If you're here this morning and you need God to make a change in your heart, I'm not going to ask you to even respond. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to come to the altar. You don't have to lift your hand. Just do it. Let it. Let the change happen and occur right now. Come to that Jesus place where you say, do what you want in me. And I'm okay with it. And give yourself away. Give yourself away. And let Him accomplish His will in your life. Amen. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. 
Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.